Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Mom Hour Voices. This is a special series of episodes where either Sarah or I, or today for the first time, Sarah and I, talk to an author or blogger or expert in some field that maybe we don't know as much about or have as much personal experience in. And today we're talking about sex ed and puberty with Nora Gelperin of Amaze.org. Sarah, our sponsor, Vionic, is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my uptown loafers and Willa slip on flat and your Chardonnay heeled sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 classic sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. <laughs> and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. 
Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash the mom hour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. So I want to tell you a little bit about Nora. So Nora Gelprin is the Director of Sexuality Education and Training for Advocates for Youth, and she's partnering with Amaze.org and is our interview guest today. So Nora has more than 20 years of experience providing sexuality education both to youth directly and also to the educational professionals who are implementing programs like sex ed in schools. She's a mom. She is fantastic to hear from and talk to. And Megan, we just had such a great conversation with her. I'm excited yeah, for her. Yeah, it was, it was really listeners. fun. Yeah, so. I, I agree. It's a fun, it's a fun, awkward conversation. Um, before <laughs> we kind. launch right into our conversation with Nora, just a reminder that when you hear us talk about these amazing videos from amaze.org and some of the other resources that Nora mentions, you can always find those at themomhour.com. This is episode 12 of the Mom Hour Voices series. So if you search for that or search for amaze.org, this will come right up. So I think that's all we got before right. uh, turning it over to our conversation with Nora Gelprin. Hi, Nora. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to have a great conversation. So my first question has to do with talking to young kids about the birds and the bees, how babies get made, how'd that baby get in your tummy, mommy? These kinds of questions. So, you know, a little backstory with my oldest. She was a very curious preschooler and kindergartner and first grader. I felt like she just asked a lot of questions that led questions around this topic that led to real short bits of information, whatever I felt like she was ready for at the time. So, you know, a little bit about the egg and the sperm or needing a part from a daddy and a mommy, whatever version of the story I was kind of able to tell for her age. So it kind of felt like a natural progression where by about the age of eight, you know, she had most of the story about conception and how babies are made. And it happened in this sort of logical progression where I never felt like it was one big sit down talk. And I know that's, you know, kind of the ideal way to go. My question is, my second child really doesn't ask those leading questions at all. He just doesn't seem curious about it in the same way. So I'm finding that's more on me to bring it up, number one. And number two, kind of wondering what to bring up when or how to bring that up when I'm not being prompted by questions. So I imagine that some kids just are more curious than others. And I would love for you to talk about maybe some tips for when it is when it is does come down to the parents to bring this up. Um, what are some ways to do it? And maybe some other tips for talking about young kids about how babies are made. Absolutely. And it happens all the time. And it's super normal to have kids that are very different, obviously, in terms of their interest and curiosity curiosity and the different ages at which these topics present themselves in their lives. So lots of easy ways that parents can utilize what we call teachable moments um, in our work. And that could be anything from there's a popular movie coming out or a TV show or even sometimes celebrities that bring up different kinds of relationships or issues. It could be something in the news. And sometimes just grabbing one of those um, and talking to your child about what do you think about this? What do you see? What are 
these characters doing? What do you believe about can be a great entree into these topics without it necessarily having to start with a question from your child to you? Um, Another thing that some parents have found to be really successful is particularly if you've got a kid who's not a big talker, sometimes talking about a subject that's uh, potentially embarrassing like sexuality or the birds and the bees um, can also make it more intensive. A kid is like expected to look you in the eye and Mm -hmm. have a conversation over the Mm -hmm. dining room table or something. So trying to find a way that you can provide information without it being so intense. So some parents like maybe buy a book or get one from the library and just leave it around the living room. Um, They often find that kids that are curious but maybe not comfortable talking face-to-face may secretly grab that book Mm. and borrow it for a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Um, Sometimes parents even might leave like little sticky notes on certain pages (laughs) that they want to draw their kids' attention to. So there's lots of creative and simple, easy ways where you can start to dialogue without necessarily having a kid ask you those questions. Yeah, and without having to sit down for one big talk, right, which I right. loved. Would you, yeah. would you agree, just a quick follow-up, because it happened so naturally with my first, I mm-hmm. felt like each time she asked, you know, say it was, you know, something about a baby growing inside a mommy at age four, and then the next time it was, you know, well, how does that get there? And we talk about an egg and a sperm. It felt very gradual and sort of like age-appropriate chunks. If you have a kid who's not prompting you and making it that easy, mm-hmm. um, do you still find that sort of bits of information you know, trickled out over those growing years is the best approach. Absolutely. Yes, exactly what you did with your um, oldest is exactly what we would hope all parents to do. I think oftentimes parents think, oh my gosh, I have to have, quote unquote, the talk, right? (laughs) It's going to be a puberty. We're going to go through everything. It's going to be an hour. We're going to sweat. It's going to be terrible, (laughs) Um, right? But it really should be exactly as you're describing, that different things come up. Kids are ready and interested to hear different kinds of information as they're growing and having different friendships and being exposed to different things. So we really call Call it, you know, it's a lifelong conversation, not a one-stop shopping. Um, so exactly how you described is exactly what we would hope parents to be doing. And I, I yeah. know all kids are totally different, but do, are there any age by age, specifically with um, conception and how babies are made? Because I know that's a really curious topic for, I mm-hmm. would say, you know, pre- even preschool, kindergarten first. Um, do you have any set ages that kind of benchmark that information or is it really dependent on the kid? Yeah, no, I wish I could say by age five, everyone should know this or age seven or 10. You know, in school, that's a lot easier to do because you've got generally most kids are doing these kinds of things in various grade levels. But knowing that our kids are so developmentally unique, I I tend to find two things to keep in mind. One thing is to remember that information is not harmful. So parents Mm -hmm. often worry, oh, my gosh, what if I say the wrong thing or I Mm -hmm, say that they don't understand it or it's too young? It's not going to you know, be burned into their memory and cause them harm. Um, If anything, it may just go right over their head and they may ask you about it six months later or need to come back and visit the topic again and Mm -hmm. say, wait, I didn't, what was that? Right. (laughs) And so that's totally normal. So don't worry about giving too much information because it just, it's never been shown in 30 years of public health research to ever harm kids. Um, And the other thing is that um, a lot of times people wait until something happens, right? So I'm going to wait until she gets her period period, and then we'll sit down and we'll have a talk, right? Or I'm going to wait until, right, I find those sheets for the first time in my son's room and they're a little sticky and, oh, now we got to talk. But actually 
kids will tell you time and again, they wish that parents and caregivers had talked to them earlier Mm -hmm. so that they knew what to expect. And then it's not so scary when it happens. It's not so, oh my gosh, I'm dying because there's blood coming out of me. Um, It's like, oh, that's what we talked about. Oh, now I get it. So sometimes trying to do it a little bit before you think things may happen can be helpful as well. I think you make a really good point, too, that information is not harmful. And I think parents often, especially parents of older kids like teenagers, Mm -hmm. mistake giving information for giving approval (laughs) to be doing those things. Mm -hmm. And those are two very different things, you know. Absolutely. That's so, so on, true. Yeah. yeah, please go on, ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Because that's I'm just segueing myself into my next question, which mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a really tough one. I feel like there's this polite fiction sometimes between parents and teenagers. Because as a mom, I do want my teenagers to be open with me and ask questions. I know that needs to be the relationship that we have. Um, sure. But I struggle because I don't want them having sex. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. How, I don't really know how to make those two things go together. I don't necessarily want to hear too many graphic details, Mm -hmm. not that they're going to probably give those to me, but I feel like there's this, there's just this, like, I'm having a hard time meeting the, what I should be doing for them and the environment I want to create for them with the reality that I don't think they're really ready. And how do I make those two things jive? Sure. Absolutely. Well, and I think one thing that oftentimes parents forget to do is tell their kids what they do want them for, for them when it comes to sexuality. Oh, okay. Like we know a lot of what we don't want, but we don't talk about, oh my goodness, this is the most amazing thing you can share with another person. I really hope when this happens for you, you are with another loving person that you trust and that you have a sense of intimacy with that you've, you know, expressed that you care about each other and these kinds of ways, you know, you need to insert your values and what you're beliefs are. Because I think there's uh, been lots of research to show that kids can really understand the message of, I really hope that you'll wait to have this experience when these set of criteria are in place or when you're at this point in your life. And if things should change for you, if you should make a different decision than what I hope you'll make, Hmm. I want you to know I'm always here for you. I will always support you. I will not judge you. I will make sure you are safe. I will, you know, all Hmm. those other things we say about like drinking and driving, right? We hope that you'll never be in a situation and with this is happens, I hope you'll make good, healthy choices. But if that should not be what ends up happening, I'll always be here to support you. And you know, kids, um, they've actually done a lot of polling on this, whether kids hear this message of, well, my mom talked to me about sex, so she really must approve it, even though she didn't really say that. Right. That's never been shown to be the case. Um, yet kids really understand this idea that parents want us to do this. But um, if we make a different choice, they also want us to be protected. So it's not a dual message, which is what a lot of parents um, and adults worry about. It's really a very straightforward uh, message that kids can easily understand. Okay, that's actually very reassuring. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you you also touched on um, this a little bit, but I want to really dig into, especially with those older kids, like, how do kids really, um, and I'm talking about, you know, children or teenagers, young adults who are uh, ready or thinking about getting involved in some sexual behavior, how mm-hmm. do they protect themselves mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. themselves emotionally around all that, uh, surrounding all that? Because I think we sometimes focus a little bit on the nuts and bolts and not yes. the inner life. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I really think, unfortunately, a lot of the school-based sex education that young people are getting is way too diluted and um, biological. It really doesn't at all talk about the emotions, which is really, you know, when you talk to a group of teenagers and you ask them what they want to learn about, and nine times 
times out of 10, they tell you relationships because mm-hmm. that's what there's not an easy answer to. Um, so to really talk about how there is an emotional component to um, being human and we make connections with people, whether they're our friends or our families um, or whether they're people that we have romantic feelings for, there are feelings involved and those can get really intense. Um, and sometimes um, introducing a sexual component to a relationship, even if we're not talking about having sexual intercourse or any kind of you know intimate sexual behavior, right. just even being with someone in an intimate way, just even taking clothes off in front of another person can be so incredibly intimate and make you feel really vulnerable in front of someone. So to talk about all those components of being human and having feelings and how those can be more complicated and they can be enhanced and they can also you know make for lots of misunderstandings when someone's in a romantic relationship, even in friendships, right? Starting in middle yeah. school, those things get more complicated. I think that's a really key role that parents and caregivers can play. Is there Are there things that come up again and again? I mean, you mentioned friendships, and I was just thinking how even when, you know, you've got this little group, say, of tight best girlfriends, and some of them are sexually active and some aren't, even that mm-hmm. causes drama and can change friendships. So just things yes. that maybe kids just aren't going to think about unless it's unless it's kind of pointed out to them that there could be an issue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were, I was actually, it's funny you should say that, uh, for the amaze.org website, I was just working on a piece on peer pressure and talking about how sometimes peer pressure, like you described, can be really subtle when all of your friends are doing something and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one that's not doing that, I better start doing whatever that is, that can be a really real component for young people. Um, And unfortunately, because of how hypersexualized our media is and everything they see uses sex to sell them something, the perception is that everyone is doing something sexual except for me. I must be the only one who's not had Mm. a boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, whatever it is. So to really acknowledge that most young people actually do wait until they're older teens to start doing these kinds of making these choices and engaging in these behaviors, it's really normal to wait. It's really healthy to wait. I think that can be really helpful for young people who often feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who's not like my friends. I better, blah, 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 you know, do something to catch up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and it makes me think <clears throat> about this kind of an offshoot question, but um, about how the world is different now than it was when, you know, we were in high school. And I think we forget sure. maybe only 20 years has gone by that everything has changed. And mm-hmm. the, the the medium that by which we communicate with our friends has changed. And um, just probably what's happening in schools has changed and what's happening at parties has changed. And I wonder if you can touch on like, how do you, without short of, you know, creeping on um, a bunch of teenagers snapchats and stuff which you could also do but how do you get hip to that like how do you know and understand what's happening if you're not living in it so that you so you don't sound like a dumb mom and I, I worry about that sometimes like sounding really out of touch like they'll I'll say something and they're rolling their eyes thinking you don't know how it is well I think it's great to first acknowledge that we don't know how it is right, right. That we're yeah. never gonna know yeah. what right. it's like to be a young person today and that I'm not sure um, it's important to be hip mm-hmm. I think what's more important is to um, listen and to be caring and I find oftentimes teenagers and young people are love being the teacher. And so when I ask my nieces and nephews or even my my kid about, tell me a little bit about Snapchat or how do you or what do you and what does that mean on Facebook or, you know, whatever it might be. They love being the teacher. So I think sometimes actually just asking some questions and showing that you're interested and you care and are willing to listen and be taught, I think can really communicate volumes about
about how it is so different. You know, you've been there in terms of you were an adolescent and successfully navigated being a, a kid growing <laughs> up into an adolescent, and now you're a successful adult, but it was really, really different. And so to let them guide you a little bit about what their life is like these days, um, I think it can open up avenues for some great conversations. That's that's such a good tip. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's easier said than done to ask those questions in a way that's not judgmental. Kids pick up on when we're judging versus mm-hmm. actually want to learn yes. so quickly. Definitely. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, um, for sure. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. My next question is actually about puberty and specifically early puberty in girls. So I know just from reading and the media that um, early puberty is becoming more and more common and that girls on average are just entering puberty, I believe, earlier you know, than in the past. But I'm curious how this um, impacts how we talk about developmental changes and body changes with our girls if a girl is starting to develop much sooner than her peers, I would imagine that, you know, developmentally, the the things going on, like we were just talking about with peers and everything else, there's some differences in having that conversation at nine versus 12. And I don't mean mm-hmm. the first conversation. Obviously, we hope that there have been several. But when the actual body changes start earlier than average, do you have any any specific coaching for that situation? Sure. Well, I think first thing you want to just make sure that a young girl has the information that she needs. So that's one of the reasons why in the amaze.org project, we really wanted to go to young people directly and not always through schools or through other adult caregivers, because we really recognize that, as you said, some girl may be um, really ready to learn about menstruation or bras or, you know, mood swings at eight or nine or 10 and others maybe not until 11, 12 or 13. And so they can get that information when when they need it. So I find just starting some, um, like watching one of the girls in puberty videos together or one of the, um, you know, silly animated shorts that we've got can just start a great opening for what did you think about that? Oh my gosh, is that something happening to girls your age or not? Or, you know, sometimes even acknowledging um, that kids go through this at all different ages. We have a video about that to really just normalize how, you know, some kids have never even heard of menstruation and they're in the eighth grade and others have been doing it for, you know, five years. And that's all really normal, which is, I think it's one of the first times for young people that that is something that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because up until now, every third graders had to be able to do this about reading and math and every fourth graders had to be able to pass Mm -hmm. this to, you know, move on. So now you're really seeing their development happening at lots of different ages. So I find anything between short videos online, like ours from Amaze, there's a lot of great books you can use. Sometimes even doing things um, that'll allow a young person who's going through something different than their peers um, to talk about that without necessarily, again, having a face-to-face conversation. So I know I've done things like journaling um, back and forth. We write back and forth to each other. Um, Sometimes we'll just email or text each other, sending silly things that you see on BuzzFeed or, you know, other little humorous things to just get a conversation started. But I guess really the message I always try to share with kids this age and with the adults that care for them is just, it's all really really normal. Everybody's going to be okay. Sometimes even thinking about, is there a celebrity that they admire mm-hmm. and talking mm. about things like Taylor Swift survived puberty, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beyonce went through puberty. It is amazing. Justin Timberlake survived puberty. So, you know, to really think about it, it is a very human experience. Although at the moment it's happening, it can make you feel, you know, kind of isolated or unique or different from other people. Right. Well, when you were talking about the wide range of normal, what it made me think of, you know, a lot of our listeners have baby 
babies and toddlers. And that's another mm-hmm. stage where moms need a lot of encouragement to understand that a baby could walk at nine months or 16 months. And there's a huge wide range of normal. But um the babies aren't self-conscious about walking at nine months or <laughs> yeah. 16 months, whereas, That's a good point. you know, the, the kids going through puberty see their difference from their peers. So I think as both as parents internalizing how normal that is and then also helping our, our girls understand that, because I know I feel like there's more out there on helping girls feel like it's okay if they're not developing as soon as their peers. I, mm-hmm. I I have not seen as much about, you know, the emotional side that comes with being one of the first. So yeah. I think that's such yeah. an interesting conversation. I love your love your feedback. So. You know what the um the other thing that I thought of when you were talking about the different rate at which kids develop I would just remember that when I was in school, we took sex ed in fourth grade, and that was when we learned about periods. I think that was, it was just the period year. We didn't get into anything else. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, But it didn't, I kind of thought puberty would happen to me all at once. Like once one thing happened, the rest of it would just follow really fast. And I Mm. think it happened over like four years for me because I think Mm -hmm. I started getting hair at like nine and then didn't get my period until I was 13. And that, like I was on pins and needles (laughs) every time I went to the bathroom waiting to have my period for four years. And it's just so funny thinking back now like someone could have told me it doesn't always work that way but no it didn't occur to anyone it wasn't you know it wasn't held withheld for me it just I wasn't textbook in whatever which even textbook isn't textbook it's yeah, like no, that's, a, that's a good point yeah that's a good hashtag yeah. <laughs> across America BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that there's so much information when we as adults think back to our growing up, like, oh my gosh, why did I worry about that? Or I thought I was a freak this whole time because no one ever told me this or that or, you know, whatever it might be. But I think what gets a little bit challenging is that there's this sense, there's so much anxiety, um, there's so much nervousness because so few people are comfortable kind of talking about it and being open and honest about it. And, you know, really, it's just a part of being a human being. It's not anything that should have any shame or stigma attached with it. Um, And yet we have a long way to go for all of us, you know, both in schools as well as in our families to feel more comfortable talking about it. I have a question that's about older kids again, and this is a tough one and it's very topical, I think, but it's something that's it's really it's really emotional and kind of controversial, I'm sure. Um, and it's about talking to older kids about sex and consent. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been such a headline worthy topic over the last few years, especially. And it's awkward because no one wants to think that their child is going to be someone who doesn't understand what consent means or would be in one of those headlines on either side. Um, and I'm wondering if you have some tips for that or just some ideas about how that can work. 
Yeah, absolutely. We actually did an Amaze video on consent specifically because I think um, it sounds like it would be so straightforward. It's just yes is consent, right? But then right. when you think about the lives of adolescents, it's much more gray than that, particularly when they're around situations that may involve drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you layer in this idea of, well, we don't talk about being sexual together. Things just right. magically things happen, just happen, right? right. You know? They're like Poof. nonverbal about things. Right, exactly. right, exactly. Yeah. So I think this whole idea of really talking about affirmative consent, unless you hear a yes and it's clear between you and your partner that you're both interested in doing the same thing, you should always assume no. I think that's what really turns it on its head because oftentimes people will say things like, well, she invited me back to her room and she knew no one else was home. That was yes, right? Um, Or, you know, she didn't stop me. So that was yes, right? So I think sometimes to talk about it either through a video or through a scenario or even, you know, so what would happen if to you and your friends using something like a cell phone, as an example, it doesn't have to be sexual in nature. Right. So if your friend wanted to borrow your cell phone, um, but you were, you know, asleep at the time and, and you didn't say no, is it okay if they just come and take it out of your backpack? Um, right. Or, you know, something like that, if they wanted to borrow it from you, um, but you said, yes, but only, you know, for an hour, does that mean the next day when you want to borrow it, it's okay for them to take it without asking you since you said yes the last right. time? <laughs> yes. So, right. So, so right. Think about those situations you want to talk about regarding a relationship and use something non-sexual because then it's like, oh, well, no, that's really clear. Duh. That's my phone. Right. So it's easier, I think, to talk about starting there um, and then graduate into the more relationship situations. We'll have to definitely include that video in our show notes for this episode because it's just that's one of those things I think I know as a parent of especially teenage boys. It just Mm -hmm. it worries me because I um, again, you know, everything we said, it seems so logical to us. Right. (laughs) But not everything. This, these worlds of these these social situations for these kids is, is so logical and so straightforward. Yeah, well, and I think just to, since you mentioned a son, I think another thing to be mindful of, and you know, since we're three moms here talking, yeah. I think the other thing is that boys and men are really socialized very differently about sexuality than girls are. And so the intense pressure that boys are faced with to either prove that I'm no longer a virgin or to worry that they're going to call me gay. It's like this yeah. dichotomy that boys have to exist in. So this pressure to kind of score, so to speak, I know it sounds so antiquated, but it still exists today to either, you know, touch her in a certain way or to go a certain, you know, um, to a certain place with her sexually or say that I have or, you know, it's just incredible. So I think boys are often pigeonholed to do things that they're not ready Mm. for, interested in, but they really don't know any uh, any way out. Mm. So it's great to talk about consent and, you know, what your boundaries are and what you're comfortable with. And it's okay to not be interested in any of this stuff. There's so much other cool stuff going on in your (laughs) life right now. Let's get and wait, right? So yeah, that social pressure that boys place, I think we often don't talk about very much. Can I ask another question along those same lines? And it just um, sparked, you know, from what you just said, and that is dealing with um, sexuality that maybe you didn't expect, maybe Mm -hmm. a, a kid coming out. And how do you set the stage for that being, um, okay and acceptable. I I feel like parents don't want to push kids in one direction or the other. And most of us just assume our our kids are going to follow this hetero path. (laughs) So we don't really think to like 
open, even if you have gay friends and yeah. you know, you're very accepting, your child might not understand that that would apply to them, that, right. that you'd be ex- equally accepting of them. Sure, sure. Uh, I think this is terrific that we're talking about this. I think one of the things that oftentimes parents worry about is that if we talk about it, that will mean they will go do ABC. Right. Again, um, like it's it, the whole, we talk yeah. about it, we right. do it thing. Yeah. <laughs> we're so powerful. <laughs> we can control them. Um, yeah. <laughs> we really know that sexual orientation is all about attraction and no one can control who you find attractive in the world. Um, and I think that just by acknowledging that talking about it just really helps kids understand that you're going to support and love them as they discover who they are. Um, and so I know I have a seven-year-old and we've started talking about things like, oh, look, there's a family that lives two doors down from us that has two moms. Look at that. Those moms love each other. They're they're each other's wife. What does that mean? You know, oh, right. they fell in love and they loved each other and they wanted to have a family and now they're two moms, right? And so then we also talk about stuff we see when people use hurtful or harmful language and how that's not how what we believe in. We really believe that two people should, you know, be able to have a family and love whoever they love. Um, and so I think oftentimes just starting to talk about your values as things come up with people that, you know, you talked about having gay friends. It's really terrific to just normalize those kinds of experiences and folks that are LGBTQ in our worlds. Um, and often, you know, I'm just so excited for my kid to go through puberty because, you know, I can't even wait um, <laughs> because I'm really going to be talking to him as yeah. he grows up and starts to have romantic crushes and feelings and the sweaty palms and the butterflies and, you know, whoever you love is who you love. And I'm going to be your mom no matter what. And I'll support you whoever you are. I think something as simple as that um, can really be helpful. And also, as we start to talk about romantic things, or we look at different examples and read different books together to make sure that we include kids books that have different kinds of families, or we're looking at different kinds of TV shows or movies or whatever that may have gay or lesbian or bisexual characters or anything like that, just to expose them to other adolescents who are not heterosexual and to normalize that experience. And the good news is that's all becoming so much more available. So easy. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's becoming a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the points you make that's so true, especially when we're talking about young kids who might not be ready for the biological conversations that have to do with you know, sex and intimacy is that as parents, that's right where our mind goes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you're talking about is romance and relationships and families, which is something that three-year-olds notice can relate to and can relate to. So Mm -hmm. it's not, um, and I think it's funny that it's the adults sometimes who become sex obsessed (laughs) or or intercourse obsessed. And we, we go right to, well, how do I explain that, you know, to a seven-year-old, but what, but some of the language you've just even given us just in your last answer is is it's not about it's not about the plumbing (laughs) it's about parenting and families it's about what the families look like and what relationship and even romance I love that yes I hadn't really thought of that word but for you know a tween or a young teen Mm -hmm. romance is kind of a universal you know everybody has seen a movie that just made them feel mushy gushy inside and that Mm -hmm. again it's not about intercourse and that two-year-olds understand romance two-year-olds have romantic relationships (laughs) with their mothers you know but it's still they understand it it's like it's something they can the crushes and all that starts so much earlier yeah yeah well I think talking about two-year-olds I think one of the things that I try to um, work with parents of very young kids which I know can be a process and everybody's on their own journey but really to try to start using um, proper names for 
body parts from almost when your kids are pre-verbal. You know, I, my brother-in-law was super uncomfortable, never said any of this stuff out loud, came from a very kind of, um, you know, family that just never brought this up with him. And so when his first child was born, I remember literally sitting next to him and be like, we're going to change your diaper and we're going to say vulva and we're going to say yeah. anus. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was like, yes, you can. And so if you can get a parent comfortable using the proper language, then they model that for their toddlers um, because it's really, really important for kids to know the proper names for their body parts. There's actually mm. research that shows kids who um, know the correct names for their body parts are less likely to be preyed upon by predators, sexual predators, because they are able to report what has happened mm. to them versus kids who don't have that language aren't able to communicate someone has touched them in that place because they don't even know the words. Right. So we're actually protecting our kids when we empower them with those, you know, the correct body parts in a book with beautiful illustration. Anything by Roby Harris um, is a really great find. So I definitely recommend okay, her I'm books. Yeah, she's got some good ones. Um, there's also great books that are about different kinds of families. So okay. Todd Parr is one of my favorites. Okay. He's got something called The Family Book, and there's many, many out there. So just sometimes thinking about the library of books that you've got available and the different books that you can read could just be a nice way to kind of drop in some different information. Um, and another thing I really like to encourage parents of very young kids to be aware of, which can be challenging depending on family dynamics, is to really consider not forcing your kids to ever hug, kiss, squeeze, get tickled mm. by an adult that they feel uncomfortable with. And this could be a grandparent, this could be an aunt or an uncle or a special you know, neighbor or something like that. Oftentimes our social um, norms say, you know, if that grandma's got their arms open wide or they want to kiss, that we better make our kid do that right. in order to not upset grandma. But we really want to encourage kids to have what we call bodily autonomy and really be able to make decisions about who can touch their bodies and when and trust that if they are not feeling it in that moment with grandma or grandpa or Aunt Betty or whoever it might be, that that is okay. It's not rude or disrespectful. It's just allowing that child to decide for themselves who gets to touch them and when. And then talking with them about a couple of situations in which it's also okay to have a stranger touch you. And that would be a person in a medical situation who's giving your body an exam. Mm -hmm. Usually a parent or a caregiver is there. And then obviously a parent or a caregiver who's bathing you or taking care of you or, you know, um, changing your clothes or something like that. So I right. like to really try to start to talk about bodily autonomy because then when you get to consent when they're older, it's really in line. It's the same developmental idea. It's yeah. just a little more complicated as they become teens. Yeah. One, one thing my kids say or that we've said is that I'm in charge of my own body, which is funny because they, <laughs> they will always find a way to use that, um, take it out of context to try to get out of doing something I've asked them. Oh, to no. Do. Like, you know, <laughs> please pick up your toys. No, I'm in charge of my own body. Which is just, <laughs> can backfire. It's just like there you redefining go. what we mean by that. But then sometimes they'll ask questions like, well, I don't want to take my medicine. I'm in charge of my own body. And then we mm. say, well, that's great. So the younger you are, the more I need to help you with your help and say health and safety. Exactly. And the older that you get, the more you'll be able to make those choices. So no, sure. when you're fine, you can't refuse your antibiotics because right. the doctor and I have decided that that's best right. for your health and safety. But you are in charge of your own body. So that's like, I feel yes. like it's it's like this. Uh, you can't see my hand gestures right now, but you're <laughs> I'm letting go a little bit and they're having increasing bo bodily mm. aut autonomy. Is mm -hmm. that what you said? Yes, yeah. that's exactly um, but it is funny. So they will use that phrase. Um, and oh, then the other hilarious. thing we do about 
consent, because I, I do have the three kids close in age, is that when play gets rough or roughhousing, that if somebody says no, the play stops. And obviously it's not sexual. Perfect. It's not, you know, no, but no. it's, yeah. um, but, and, and, you know, that's not, kids don't pick up on that overnight. So for our right. listeners who, you know, it's not perfect, but that, I think that is another, if you can start to have that with sibling pairs, mm-hmm. you're, you're really teaching consent without ever having to talk about it. Exactly. It, you know, in the it young comes, years. It comes back to the whole idea of doing this in little drips, right? Because I yeah. think if you're a, a mom of, say, a two-year-old and you're thinking, well, this this conversation is off, you know, two years in the future, the, that two years might just kind of never come around. Or when it does, it seems too big. Or and it's so, different than what you, know, you thought it was going to be. Exactly. It's yeah. not, they're yeah. not asking the same questions you thought they would or something. And so it's like the more you can normalize it throughout, it seems like mm-hmm. what you're saying, Nora, um, just the easier and more effective it is overall. Absolutely. And then you just leave that door open and they know that you're comfortable talking about this and that it comes up. And then if they do have a question or oftentimes what happens to me is that their friends have questions and they send Mm. their friends to you, you know, so then they also just know that you are okay to talk about this. And if you don't know the answer, you'll help them find it or, you know, you'll get back to them with more information. And it just shows that you value this part of who they Mm -hmm. are. um, And that's super helpful for kids to be affirmed in that way. The other thing just that is kind of a silly thing, but I think really little kids don't look at you like you're weird when you talk about this stuff, whereas the older they get, they kind of pick up on that it's awkward, even if you try. Right. So I almost feel like it's practice for mom. Like even if none of it sinks in, you're sort Definitely. of training yourself so that by the time the conversations really are, you know, when it's really time, it's not the first time you've said the word vulva or whatever right, makes right. you awkward. Do you know right, what I mean? Right. <laughs> because exactly. you've been practicing. And no other adults have, if you have time with it, it's just you and your kids you can kind of like you know practice yeah the vulva yeah. song or whatever the penis <laughs> song the scrotum song yeah. you know yeah <laughs> oh my gosh well nora this has been amazing megan do you have any final questions or thoughts no, i don't this really covered a lot of ground but i feel like it gave everyone of no matter what age or stage your child is at um i think it gave everyone something to work with so i really oh, appreciate God. that because we covered a lot of ground and it's a big topic but i do like this idea of just making it more normalized and more um and just doing it in little bits and pieces normally and naturally rather than you know waiting for the talk that moment I can tell you as a mom of my oldest is 19 that perfect moment will not come mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're gonna sit down and and do a seminar with them it just won't so right you know yeah, yeah be yeah, proactive that's great advice that's well we wonderful. will um everything we talked about of the amazing videos at amaze.org um and then the specific authors and books that you mentioned um I can circle back to you by email and we'll make okay. sure for our listeners that those are included wonderful. in the show notes um great. and this has been so great thank you oh, so good. much thank you sure. it was great to chat with you both all right take all care right. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. This was episode 12 in our Mom, Our Voices series. Just a reminder, for everything we talked about with Nora, head to the show notes at themomhour.com and just look for our interview with Nora from amaze.org or look for Voices number 12. Search for any of those and the show notes will come right up. I know she mentioned some great videos and books that you'll want to go check out. So before we leave you today, just a quick reminder, we're heading into the month of May, which means Mother's Day is coming up. And for those who have written in letters for our Mother's Day challenge, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed the ones we've been sharing on social media and reading them here on the show. So if you still would like to write a letter, there is time. We're asking that you postmark by May 1st, but if you're a tiny bit behind that deadline, 
that's okay too. So Mother's Day is May 14th. We will be sharing most of the ones that we select to read on the air um, in the first week of May. So do try to get them in out, out of your hands by May 1st. You can find our address by going to themomhour.com and look in the sidebar for that little envelope icon that says Mother's Day Challenge. That will take you right to where you need to go to find out our address and everything else you need to know. So just wanted to remind you guys about that. Thanks so much for listening. And Megan and I will be back on Tuesday with another regular episode of The Mom Hour. Thanks, guys. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Tease Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know, I am fan number one of the teas made. It's got such a cozy vibe and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines and home and family life. Just look for the teas made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to the to find all the episodes.